I'm the king of rock. There is none higher. Sucker MCs should call me sire. To burn my kingdom, you must choose fire. I won't stop rocking till I retire. Now we rock up parties and come correct. All cuts are on time and rhymes connect. Got the right to vote and we'll elect. And other rappers can't stand us, but give us respect. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux, and this is our seventh birthday. It was seven years ago this week that Aaron Syrett and I put out our very first episode with Bruce Blackman of Starbuck, and after, I think it was 18 episodes or so, Yan the Man stepped in, and he and I have been going strong for over four and a half years, six and a half years, if you can believe it. And as we always try to do every year, we'd like to celebrate that birthday with an extra special guest. And this week, it is the great Daryl DMC McDaniels from Run DMC. Daryl is such an inspiring guy. If you've heard him in other interviews, which you probably have, I have, he's the best. He discusses very openly in here his struggles with mental illness, mental health, depression, anxiety, drugs... We talk about the, uh, the effects of mental health and depression in, in the black community, specifically around men in the black community. Not the kind of things you get in other conversations. And earlier this year, Daryl published a children's book. The King of Rock produced, uh, uh, published a children's book called Daryl's Dream about an awkward little boy who feels out of place because of the way he looks, his big glasses, the things he's into, comic books, cartoons, and uh, but he finds himself in music. Who do you think that sounds like? Anyway, a uh, little bit of information. There is no music in this episode. You'll find out why, because when Daryl gets going, you don't want to stop him. You don't want to interrupt it and play snippets of songs that I know all of you know anyway. So we just let him go. Plus, he breaks into rap every now and then on all the songs you would know anyway. It is surreal watching him. I mean, for me it was, but hopefully it is for you too. I'm looking at the guy on Zoom doing this interview, and he starts breaking into, you know, Walk This Way and Tricky and King of Rock and all this stuff. And you realize this is the guy who said all those things originally. Run DMC are one of the most important and revolutionary music acts in history. Everything we know and love about rap today happened thanks to Run DMC. That's it. So anyway, this is a huge honor to get to talk to DMC and hear his story. He is an inspiring, wonderful man. He called me from where else? New York City. So the first time, I, the one and only time I saw Run DMC in concert was here in Denver. It was in the mid-90s, I want to say. 
Uh, probably around 90 Red Rocks? No, it wasn't at Red Rocks. Oh. It was at Fiddler's Green, and it was an all-day radio station festival. And the headliners oh. were Foo Fighters and Crystal Method, and there was Ben Harper and the Specials and the Aquabats and Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and Eve Six, and you guys played second. You were – and DMC. the sun was – Run DMC. And I'll never forget it because <laughs> – because <laughs> run came out he says what kind of shit is this that run dmc is playing at four o'clock with the sun out and i thought really that is true why are we getting why isn't run dmc headlining this thing sounds like you don't remember <laughs> this i don't really okay. what year was that 90 something it would have been around the late 90s i'm going to say probably 98 99 somewhere in there oh i i was too busy thinking about how i'm gonna kill myself <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay. That, okay. So you saying that it's funny, but it's also dark. And I wanted to ask you right. about this specifically because a few years ago you were making the rounds, doing interviews. And I remember I listened to all of them and you're the best. And when I was listening uh, to the one specifically on broken record with Rick Rubin, you were talking very uh, openly about feeling suicidal and your mental health issues yeah. and how the Sarah McLaughlin song angel kind of snapped you out of it. Yes, it kept me alive. Yes. Well, that was before the pandemic. And I don't know. Yes. And I'm wondering how you're feeling today, Daryl, because I struggle. I have been struggling the last. Really? I mean, I've been struggling the last. Ever since Trump, I've been struggling. It, worse and wow. worse. But the, I mean, the lockdown makes it worse. My dad died of COVID a couple of years ago. Oh, my. Sorry to hear that. Wow. Oh, it's oh okay. My goodness. It's okay. But I think wow. we're all just feeling so tense and frustrated. How are you doing? Yeah, the, the, the pandemic just magnified what was already there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. that's what the pandemic did. So the first three days of the pandemic, I was lost. Anxiety, fear, confusion. Like, it's my career. Because my whole career is with people. Like, I, I, I like the idea of the metaverse, but I hate it because I don't want my avatar representing me full time. I'm supposed to be an assistant. Put my avatar there after it gets poor and get rid of it. These people want to create avatars of me and tell me, dude, you never have to go to Kansas City because they owe me get money. I said, wait, hold up. What? No, no I want to go. So the first three days was anxiety and fear. But after the third day, I realized what I realized when I went to rehab and discovered therapy. Mm. Oh, I can still write a song. I can write a rhyme for the joy of writing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be for a record. Doesn't have to be for make money. And I remember during the pandemic, because of my book and me talking so openly about those mental health issues, I was doing a lot of virtual meetings with college students in high schools. And one college student, he was an athlete. And he was like, yo, D, I'm going crazy, man, because I'm so used to my routine. And I don't have my routine of practice. And then it's the film room and school and stuff like that. I'm going crazy. And I said, what did you do before you even signed up with the Kiwi League to play ball, before all the show up at this time and the practice and hanging with coaches, he was like, we used to just go to park and play basketball. And I was like, say that again. We used to go to the park. Say it again. 
And then he asked me for permission. I could still go, yes. And he said he started doing it. And I said, the blessing about that, when the routine starts totally coming back, you'll still have practice and skill and still be conditioned. So the fear of the unknown is eradicated when an individual can say, regardless of what's going on, there are still things that I can do. It doesn't make the stress better or worse. The stress is the stress. So for me, I just started writing songs. And then when the studio opened up, I had 10 new songs I could go record now and get back to my fun. Mm -hmm. So it was just all about the, the, when I wrote 10 Ways Not to Commit Suicide, it was just to prove what I've seen from individuals who struggled with alcoholism, meth, cocaine, um, suicide, everything. We have everything necessary to beat and defeat whatever it is that we're struggling against. Mm -hmm. So I realized why I became the mighty king of rock. (laughs) There is none higher who walked this way with Aerosmith in my Adidas to tell the world along with Funny Jay how tricky life could be. King of rock, my Adidas walked this way was the setup for what I was really supposed to represent. Out of all the things that I've done, I'm living, breathing proof that it can be and it will be okay. And the most powerful thing you can do when you're going through something is go speak about it. So the reason why I'm so open is this helps me. Gee, we always see Run on Run's house and TV, and we see Russell, and we see Kamara, and Run got a mansion, and this, we never see you. What's up with you? Well, I just got out of rehab and therapy. I was thinking <laughs> of killing myself. And 100% of the time when I say that, two things happen. All the DMC celebrity special stuff run out the door, and people say, if they don't, they say two things. They go, D, I've never told anybody this. Me too. Or they'll go, I've never told anybody this. My mother, my wife, my daughter, my son. So stigma exists. It's because the so-called people who think they are normal refuses to speak up about their daughter, wife, siblings, brothers, sisters, or friends who are struggling because they're so worried about what people are going to think about them for having a daughter or that. That's right. If you would have spoke up 10 years ago, she could have got help 10 years ago. Mm It's so true. And this, and I, I read this somewhere. In fact, it may have even been you that said this. I don't remember, but there is a culturally within the black community, men specifically don't talk about depression and anxiety and stuff like that. Um, Why do you think that is? And if, because of that, I think that amplifies and makes what you're doing 10 times more Mm -hmm. important because there aren't a lot of people like you, a lot of black, strong black men talking right. about their weaknesses and their sensitivities. No one does that. Because they think it's a weakness. They think it's not cool. They think you're a punk and all of that. So the reason why I talk about it, it's more gangster to talk about it because I realize all the gangsters and all the thugs and all the tough guys are fronting. Mm-hmm. They're lying. Hip-hop and rock and roll gave me a voice. And there's a rule with hip-hop and rock and roll. Keep it real. Mm-hmm. Hip, speak your truth. So I got to say, I'm scared as hell. 
I'm vulnerable. I'm afraid. That's the most gangster powerful thing that you can do. But the reason why is this, especially in the black community, but also in the Italian community, in the German community, in the Russian community, what it is is this. They are fronting. They are afraid. Um, put it like this: negative. Oh my! I mean, um, destructive behavior is celebrated among men. Yeah. Nobody stops and says, "Hold it up." He shouldn't be taking 50 shots. Somebody's supposed to stop him at the seventh one and say, wait, hold up. That's a phys- that's an amazing physical um, accomplishment. But why the hell are you doing that? There's something in the middle. We celebrate the guy who can drink 10 six-packs. He's doing it for something. There's a person, place, or thing, or circumstance in his life that was traumatic to him that he's not dealing with it. So he's trying to cover it up. The guy that fights everybody, he's the tough guy. We're afraid of him. Motherfucker ain't tough. Because if he was tough, he would admit that he's going to something with his mother, father. He was abused, sexual So none of these dudes are tough. So I realized that, yo, the most powerful thing that you could do that gives you all the power. I'm I'm so powerful by admitting my truth now. I don't need alcohol or hiding. I was using that. I got diagnosed with suppressed emotions because it was things I was feeling I was afraid to tell people about. Now I don't, I'm sad as hell. You know what I'm saying? I'm scared. You know I, I'm not feeling like myself today. Even from the point of saying I'm depressed today, that's, mm-hmm. oh, what? When you admit it, then you find out the person, place, the thing that is making you feel that way. Yeah. Now, when your head is hurt, when you're up, when I was in second grade, Miss Peterson, my second grade teacher, noticed I was squinting. So the, she told my mother, I think Daryl needs glasses. I think something's wrong with his eyes. So my mother took me to the eye doctor. Um, I, I, my back started hurting about seven years ago. I think something's wrong with my back. I went to the doctor. I got discovered. I thought it was a herniated disc. So I got arthritis in my back. So really? when there's something wrong, if you get a toothache, and I got mm-hmm. one, it was the worst thing ever. And it was a Saturday. And my dentist couldn't see me until Monday. Saturday, it was the worst. It wasn't as worse as my pancreatitis, but it was bad. But I had a toothache. I went to the dentist. When something is wrong with your thoughts, when something is wrong with your being, when something is wrong with your emotions, if you're feeling a certain way that's not physical, it's okay to go see about that. So within our communities, masculinity and power is always appreciated through a multitude of negative, harmful, destructive behavior, which made me say, none of these dudes are tough. Mm -hmm. The toughest dude is the the one that felt something wrong and went to see a therapist because you're psycho if you don't go. That's right. That's right. So I, I learned the truth about who we all really are. I'm so glad you're speaking up. It's such an important topic, especially at a time like now when, like I said, so many people are feeling the crunch. You mentioned the glasses. Yeah. This is something I've always wondered about because 
that became your trademark, that and the Adidas yep. and the tracksuit. And when I was getting ready to talk to you and I was looking over the Daryl's dream, there they are. Yes. Yep, there they are. When I was, oh man, <laughs> that's the man right there. So yep. when I was reading about the Daryl's dream book and the, the shine, I mean, I take it, this is, some of it is based on you and feeling shy yes. in third grade <laughs> and you having to have the glasses and feeling embarrassed about it. But you turn that into a power, I'm guessing, yes. right? And did you purposely wear like bigger glasses? Did you purpose? Were you like, this is going to be my trademark? What's the thing <laughs> there? Oh, I like that. Right. It's like it's like the, the evolution of the Iron Man suit. It gets kind of, better, yeah. Better and better. I'm going to take no, this no. thing and I'm going to use it yeah. to empower myself. No, no, no. It, it was a thing where I had to learn not to be ashamed of them. Hmm. But that only became that only was possible because. Rock and roll first, and then hip hop gave me the confidence to be okay with who I am. Because uh -huh. prior to hearing rock and roll and prior to seeing hip hop manifest in my neighborhood, I didn't have nothing that I could express myself through. Uh -huh. I was always going inward. The only time I saw people I could relate to that were like me, awkward, clumsy, trying to figure it out, that were badass, was in the comic books. Mm -hmm. Peter Parker. He was messing up all over the place with Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy and, and, and schoolers, but he was Spider-Man. Right. Dr. David Bruce Banner, scrawny little guy blowing stuff up and trying to figure it out with the girls, but he was the Hulk. Clark Kent. Mr. White hating on him, everybody teasing him, but he's Superman. You know, yeah. even to the point where, as I got a little old, I didn't realize this. I remember back in the 70s when I was reading Iron Man, they, they, Stan Lee and Iron Man comic books established that Tony Starks was an alcoholic. He had a drinking problem. Really? So all, yeah. Yeah. If you go back in the 70s, start reading, it was okay. Tony, why are you just put the, they even do a cover with the alcohol in the bottle and Tony over there like that, as I look back. But it was a comic book. Everything was in. My Godzilla. I love the black and white Godzilla Tokyo films. I yes. love all of the Lon Chaney, Bella Lugosi, um, 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 Boris Karloff films, mm -hmm. Gabra and King, all of that. Everything I had was in. And then when I heard rock and roll, when I, when I you know, the Rolling Stones, Bob, everybody was talking about fame and celebrity and money. But I'm a kid. I didn't care about that. But then when they start, you know, when Neil Young did Ohio about the, mm -hmm. the shooting at um, Kim, when Bob Dylan did um, Subterranean Blues, yeah, Homesick Blues, uh, yeah. You know, when, when Fo Homesick Blues, when Fogarty did Fortunate Son. Yes. So I'm starting to hear presidents and government and things I was learning in social studies. Mm -hmm. So when you listen to rock and roll, John Lennon did Imagine, mm -hmm. which was like a Disney thing. Mm -hmm. That wasn't a cartoon. Like, it was all this imagination. So all of my stuff was imagination inspiration. But hip-hop gave me the way to let it out. Mm -hmm. So the very things that people thought was weak, corny, and not so cool about me, I can now talk about my glasses on a record and not care what they think.
mm-hmm. which was so powerful that people that didn't even need glasses now <laughs> going to want to wear them because the way I feel and look, I'm not the killer, but I am now. I'm not even trying to be a killer. I'm just trying to say he's for doing it all on the top. Angry. It was for the rhymes that are on mine. See as for cool, cool as could be. Rum would ask me, why you wear those glasses? I would say, so I can see. Nothing wrong with that. I need these motherfuckers. Without <laughs> I'm blind. Like, um, that's my truth. Hip hop was about keeping real. So I'm not going to rhyme. I'm in a gang and I sell drugs and I got gun. I don't do none of that. But hip hop no. allowed me to say, son of Byford, brother of Al, banners my mother and runs my pal. It's, I was so powerful. I could diss McDonald's. Forget this in another rapper. I'm just in McDonald's, something the whole world knows about. That's it's right. McDaniels, not McDonald's. These rhymes are Daryl's, those burgers are Ronald's. And I ran down my family tree. You know oh, my gosh. So, oh, man. Rock and roll gave, yeah, rock and roll gave me permission to be Daryl's horny, geeky ass. But hip-hop allowed me to unleash the beast. That's right. World. Man, and it was that thing. It is it is mind blowing to me to hear this guy recite these lyrics today to me, <laughs> knowing what they meant to me thirty five years ago. In fact, you speaking know, of which, crash through walls, come through floors, bust <sighs> through ceilings, and run to what I was just writing dope rhymes. He had no idea that I'm just pretending to be the most powerful <laughs> entity in the hip hop. You know, it was all make believe, but it came true. It. it did. I love it. I remember being a white kid in in Salt Lake City, and uh, Friday night videos would come on, and Walk This Way would be would come on, and me and my friends would have sleepovers to watch Friday night videos, and we'd do wow. that dance that you and oh. Steve Tyler and Run do yes. at the end of the Walk This Way yep. video with the, the steps the, and the cake the, in the back. The, the, yep. We would we'd do that for hours, and we'd record it. Oh, those are yep. the days. So, so it's the same way y'all did that before hip hop. Before I experienced Melly Mel and Cool Modi and, and the Cold Crush Four and Funky Four Plus One, before I started pretending to be them, I used to put my favorite blanket on my neck and run through the house. I'm Superman. I used to take the actual tin garbage bin top and I was Captain America. Take my father's actual hammer and I'm the mighty Thor. So that make-believe thing is very real. Make believe, or you in that corny make believe stuff? I used to get teased, mm-hmm. but look at the words make the world believe it's real. And without me knowing, I'm writing and doing this and all in videos, it manifested into this world as it is. Which y'all saw it too, and just said, I gotta do juice, I have to do, I might not can rap like him, but I'm gonna dance like them, and it'll make me feel. That's and right. That's the power. That's what the, the Sarah McLaughlin record did for me in my time of need. Yeah. The alcohol wasn't doing helping. I didn't know it was okay to get help. I didn't know, you know what I'm saying? But I heard a record and felt something, which gave me the confidence. And, and that's the beauty of it all. That is. I mean, you know this. I'm sure you've been told a billion times in your life. You guys introduced hip hop and street culture and your culture yeah. to white suburban kids throughout the world, yeah. including Sandy, Utah, where I grew up. I mean, it was, sure. it was a revolutionary move and it's the world has never been the same since, so many, since you came along. Yeah. I, I, I tell kids that that's why when I did the book, Daryl's dream, the two things and, and see, and it's funny what the book is doing. I've been 
practicing my whole career. What the book is, is what my music is. Inspiration, motivation, while entertaining. So even if you listen to King of Rock, King of Rock is a self-belief verse that I didn't know I was writing at the time. I was just talking about, I don't want to be the king of rap. That's too low on my little imagination totem pole. I'm not trying to battle the rapper. I want Elvis to bow when I go in the room. And this is just me pretending, not taking it seriously. Yeah. Mick Jagger will have the fear of God in me, which I think is never going to happen. I didn't know that was going to happen. But if you listen to King of Rock, um, uh, pop culture icon Will Wheaton at a Comic-Con came over to me crying. Will Wheaton came over to me crying yeah. at the Kansas City Comic-Con. Ren and Jay was always cool, but there was always something about you. So for him to find out that I'm in the comic books like him, yeah was amazing. But then he said, that King of Rock was such my inspiration. When I said, I'm the King of Rock, there is none higher. Stucker MCs will call me sire. To burn my kingdom, you must use fire. But I won't stop rocking until I retire. You can burn down the physical, you can take the money, but nothing will, as long as I got me, and Will Weary was like, that's the, that's the inspiration. That no, no matter what the obstacles are, you won't stop. Like, And he said that was very inspiring. To wow. It is. You know what I'm saying? And it was a message in there that I was writing it for my own confidence, not knowing it was a bigger reason for me, right? That it would were, it were, it were resonate with that other shy kid who wasn't coming out of his room. But as long as I was there with that vibe and feeling the king of rock, he knew it could be all right. Yeah. So those are the things that I got from comic books. Those are the things that I got from listening to rock and roll, you know, because funk, R&B and soul was my mother and father's music because they were still cool at 40 years old. Sure. Aretha Franklin, Al Green. So me as Daryl, the little boy in the Daryl's dream book, trying to find things that represented him. I didn't have it until hip hop came along right. and allowed me to let it out. It was always there, mm -hmm. but I didn't have a way to let it out. When you were a kid and growing up and into comic books and feeling nerdy and stuff like that, did you have other kids that you could hang out with and, and be nerdy with? Or no, you, I, did I, you feel I very stayed alone? in the house. Really? I was the kid in the house. Yeah. I would come out during the day and play basketball and do all the kids stuff, ride the skateboards and stuff like that. But when yeah. it was tough, I couldn't relate to, yo, let's go steal the water pistols. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. Can't go steal. <laughs> like Iron Man does that. Like, Iron Man's going to get you. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I wasn't the kid that was going to, yo, tonight we're going to sneak out the house at 8 o'clock and come back outside. And, and I could have did it because my parents were sleeping. I wasn't, what? No. Like, I'm not doing that. But like, yeah. So I was that kid. So all I had yeah. in the house when I knew what I relate, what I am can't relate to them. When it's not, when we ain't playing tag, when we ain't playing nothing, y'all ain't gonna dig what I want to bring up right now. <laughs> I want to, I want to go read comic books and watch Boris Karloff. <laughs> They're like, what? No, we're gonna sneak on the bus and go sneak to the movies and see the Pam Grant Superfly movies. That just wasn't me. So a lot of my time was very isolated. I bet. I bet. You know, and I was the kid that had to be in the house when the streetlight came on. Mm. That was another thing. So when you're in the house with all that time, all you got is your imagination. So that's why I think a lot of the things that when I stopped drinking, 
I was able to be okay because I was already doing it. I had let the alcohol replace imagination. How do I occupy my time when I'm feeling down in the dumps? You know, you know, at 35 years old, I should have went and watched the Godzilla movie because it made me feel good. That's true. But I was reaching for the alcohol. I was reaching for the weed. I was doing yeah. things outside of me thinking that's going to help me. You know, the alcohol was good. One of my the reason why I was able to be cured of alcohol was I had to admit I like it. Mm. I don't like smoking weed. It makes you think, you get clumsy, you get stuff. Alcohol gives you all the power. I didn't realize that I got all that power anyway. Yeah. So, you know, to answer your question, I was the nerdy kid that there was days my friends got mad at me. Even when I got older, run, I, my crew was run, uh, butter, cool tea, Antoine Thigpen, and runny Ray. And they would come to my house and throw rocks in my window. Yo, D, come outside. And I would say, I'm not coming out today. I'm staying. And they would get mad at me and throw bigger rocks at my window. You know what I'm saying? And it's yeah. almost like misery loves company. Sure. Y'all sure. just want to go sit around there and, and, and put your money together, get a tray bag of weed and drink and then sit around with nothing to do. I'm fine. I got Godzilla movies. I got Bugs Bunny. I got Fred Flintstone. The Brady Bunch is coming on at five o'clock. So right after dinner, I'm good. And then the oh, Adams great. family coming on. So I was, they wasn't going to sit in the house. I sat in love. Yeah. Going. You know That's so saying? cool. How long have you been clean now? Well, how long ago did you quit drinking and, uh, and everything? 2004. Okay. Okay. 2004. And nothing since, huh? Nothing since. Yep. Nothing good for since you. Since. Do you have now, like. Somebody just asked me today, D. Where are you getting all this energy from? The, the, um, the guy that's writing my movie script or my life story. Where are you getting all I said, yo, I just act like a kid and everything's great. That's right. Well, that's what's cool about this, man, is that through your success, it's given you, it's empowered you to be exactly who you want to be. And like you yes. were touching on, you you can now amplify that nerdy, corny kid that felt nerdy because there's an audience out there that loves you and, and it speaks to them. But who right. would have guessed? So many of us were so, you talk about like, you know, the men in, in the black community not wanting, they have to front all the time. Exactly. Um, exactly. If they were just themselves, if all of us were just ourselves uh, all the ourselves, time. Right. And I we wonder, do things to yeah. fit in and this and that. You know, look, my career proves it. Oh, there's no way nobody wants to hear hip hop. I got it on MTV. You did. You, you know did. what I'm saying? Yeah. There's no way white kids, are, there's no way the black rock, black hip hop kids and the white kids are going to get together. I toured the world with the BC Boys. You did. <laughs> you did. You know what I'm saying? I do. I made a song about my sneakers that changed sneaker culture. Yes, it did. Man, you know, you know what I'm saying? And that was just about being me. I'm rhyming about my sneakers. I stepped on stage at Live Aid. People gave and the poor got paid. <laughs> I ain't have crazy. to shoot nobody. I ain't got to sell no. no drugs. I ain't do no. nothing gangster. And my little thing changed the world while y'all still rhyming about the same things you've been doing for the last 20 years. Which so is true. so boring that everybody else wants to do it because they think you're cool. And the problem with hip-hop and music today is once everybody's doing the same thing, monotony breeds boredom. Mm -hmm. I come from a generation where you look to the left, there's Run DMC, but over there, there's De La Soul. It was already about being, there was Tribe Corp. Every We all were rapping, but we all were different. Yeah, yeah. Everybody in my era, 
we all rapped, but we all had it different. Everybody knew you can't, running them got rock sold up. Can't touch that. So you had to force yourself, what, what is my sound? What is my look? It felt like for a while, and maybe I'm way off, but to me, it felt like after NWA came out, a lot yep. of those, a lot of the artists like Tribe or I yep. think about like PM Dawn or uh, right. anybody who's doing something slightly different, De La Soul, right. suddenly look, they look like wimps. You know, they don't yes, look, and and that's and right. I hated that. I hate, I like gangsters. Because it rap made great. a bunch of wimps come out and act like gangsters. Yes. Gangster rap Which, came along and made these, uh, everyone doing anything creative look wimpy by by comparison and then it all just got funneled into gangster yeah, and i never neg- liked that neg- negativity is used as the forces of power mm-hmm. they think a gun is more cooler than finger painting mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was like if i say gun two i'll get respect mm-hmm. and if i say bitch and hold two I, and that's where it went yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not, not no NWA was necessary. We just didn't need 50 NWA groups. That's exactly my feeling. Live yes. crew was necessary, but the labels go, oh, we love your philosophical, innovative creations. Could you be a little more like Ice Cube? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now you got to work a little. The labels got to spend. Look, they put out a gangster rap record. You're selling five million off the bat because everybody loves controversy. That's right. If you right. put out a positive record with no violence in school, now the label has to spend an extra $10 million in promotion and marketing to promote it over the knuckleheads. That's but right. They rather cater to the knuckleheads because it's easier instead of spending $10 million more million to save some of my people in these mm-hmm. streets. Mm-hmm. I'm not attacking any of the records. They're in the business to sell records. Ice-T told me they're going to fucking sell the porn because it makes money. But that doesn't stop Disney from doing theirs. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. with hip hop, we were the ones saying you don't have to do everything that's dominant in our culture now. You don't, these young people shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. We they should know about it, but we giving them permission that it's cool to do it. No, it's not. Yeah. That's why Little Perp and Mac Miller are dead, motherfuckers. That's right. Now, if it was our generation. If twenty nine, if eighteen, nineteen, and twenty one year olds were done in my pop generation, every record would be about not dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now they overlook all the shooting, and we made self destruction. We made the message. Tupac made Brenda had a baby dealing with teenage pregnancy. He did Dear Mama. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now all of the superstars in hip hop are quiet. And you know true. what that makes them? All the superstars are quiet. You tell me somebody who made a record about drugs. You tell me somebody who made a record about not shooting each other in Chicago. In Ch- None of them. Mm-hmm. So you tell me who's punks. Yeah. The real gangsters says, yo, shorty, you ain't got to be doing that. You could go places. That's right. And it's so bad. It sets a precedent because now the wimps are going to make those type of records just to be accepted. Mm-hmm. That's, That's true. what's happening. My son is 13 and he's, as every teenager does, uh, discovers hip hop and listens to it a lot. And he's really into Lil Uzi Vert and, uh, and Juice World, who obviously died of drugs. Yes. And it's too bad because I feel like in today's hip hop, there is finally a lot more creativity and diversity in sound. They're not utilizing it. No, no. 
I agree. Not utilizing it. Um, that's it. Every record of this for the next five years should be about what happened to um, Juice World. Yes. Everywhere. Yes. Until it doesn't happen no more. Then you can move back to having fun. We are having fun in hip hop when everything is going haywire. Mm-hmm. It's you true. You know what I'm saying? I do. So I want to throw it out. Uh, we we have some Patreon supporters, and I always tell them who I'm interviewing, and if they want to submit some questions, they can. Yes. And yes. one of our good friends, Andy Shaw, who's a huge fan of yours, he wanted to know specifically what it was like working with Rick Rubin after Larry Smith, right. who did the first two albums, because Larry tends to kind of get written out of the Run DMC history, yeah. even though what he contributed Rick was Rick Rubin came along. Right. Rick Rubin was around at the perfect time. Walk yeah. this way in my ears. Yeah. The album. But the change started with Rockbox. Mm-hmm. There's no walk this way. There's no Rockbox. So the difference between Rick Rubin and Larry Smith is not really a big difference. Mm-hmm. It's just that when we was the first to get on MTV, we was the first hip hop on MTV. With a groundbreaking revolutionary song called Rockbox, which had never been done before. But the problem is in 84 and 85, the industry didn't think we was going to be around in three years. <laughs> so, oh, okay, this, this is that. So there, there, there wasn't a, um, a respect for us. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing about Larry and Rick as producers, they let us do what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It's just that. When we did Walk This Way, having that extra attention of actually doing it with a band that already had an iconic position in music brought a whole nother level overflow of attention to mm-hmm. us. That's right. Which they would write about. That's right. You know what I'm saying? I do. Um, King, King of Rock in 85 was Run DMC with Larry Bud Melman from the David Letterman show. Right. At the front door of a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame museum, telling us we can't get in because we're hip hop. And when we got inducted in 2009, they said, D, don't you know King of Rock was prophetic? We was like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. We did that video in 85 about being denied entry. To, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame didn't start till 86. I was going to say that. <laughs> How crazy. crazy. We didn't know that. When you say crazy. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's been around since the 50s. No, yeah. it didn't start till 86. That's 86 right. is the year that Run DMC changed the world with Walk This Way and Adidas. That's right. So that's why, and when you look who was in the studio with it, it was Rick. Yeah. But all of that that we was able to do with Rick met, started in 1984 when they thought Run DMC and hip hop was going to die like disco. That's right. Because remember, disco had died and mm-hmm. punk rock was on the emergence. Mm-hmm. And here come this thing rap. They thought hip hop was going to be a fad. So the brilliant thing about Rick Rubin and Larry both is that it lets you do what you feel. Mm-hmm. That's both true. producers will say, no, we got to do this to get on the radio. No, like if this cookie cutter generation of right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, no, we got to get Florida Georgia line on the chorus. And we got to do it. We got to have um, Rihanna collab with you. Rick and yeah. Larry was like, no, what do you want to do? We want the little girl that lives on the corner of these blocks to be on the record. Rick and them would say, bring her in. 
<laughs> we're going to use her. It's and that then next week, she'll be known. It's that easy. But now the industry thinks, yeah. no, in order to be successful, you got to follow the guidelines and do what everybody else is doing. So Rick, I mean, look at Rick's diversity. Run DMC, Red Hot Chili Peppers, ACDC even, mm-hmm. um, Johnny Cash, Beastie Boys. Yeah. Yes. So look at that. And Larry had that same diversity. The thing that made Larry good was he was a bass player in a band. Oh, he knew music. Okay. He's the guy that knew Eddie Martinez. Oh, because originally what we was trying to do, like John, what we was trying to do is we was trying to make rock box like Billy Squire's Big Beat. Remember Billy Squire's Big Beat? I'm a huge Billy Squire fan yeah. and Big Beat, yes. And his Big Beat is one of the most utilized samples That's right. in hip-hop next to So we were trying to make Billy Squire's Big Beat. Larry was like, no, no, we're not going to sample it. We'll make our own. And I know a guitar player named Eddie Martinez who's playing with Quiet Riot. So those affiliations were that is killer setups. Yep. That is Shout killer. out to Eddie Martinez. But yeah, that was a good question. <laughs> good. And so he wants me to follow up with this. So Andy grew up in Minneapolis and he tells a story. He says, I went to a very integrated elementary school in Minneapolis, 50% black, 50% white. The thing that brought everyone together was music, Michael Jackson, Prince, and Run DMC. He said that bonded us all together. If you could please thank him for helping to bring people together and getting to know one another, that would be great. Wow, that's amazing to be in. It's amazing to be mentioned with Michael and Prince. Well, I mean, that, you guys amazing. were the the black trifecta, I guess, of that period, right? Yeah, right? for sure. Oh, yeah. for sure. And, that, and that's what it's about. We used to always see Prince in the airport. Really? We'd be going, he'd be coming. We'd be coming, <laughs> he'd be going. And it's funny. In the beginning of 1986, when Walk to Spain, Adidas was killing, we was walking in JFK. And Prince comes walking by in all of his purple magnificence. And he says to me, running Jay, you guys are going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame one day. And we stopped and he kept walking and we go, what the fuck did he just say? What the? We didn't know he because he's Prince. So he knew they were starting this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He said that to us. And it wasn't until I got inducted to the, oh, shoot. And um, people say uh, in the Walk This Way video when Steven Tyler took the mic and knocked down the wall. Mm-hmm. They say that didn't just happen in the video. That was significant. It was. That was a significant moment because it showed what was about to really happen in the world. That's just true. like this guy just said to us. Yep, that's absolutely true. It is. I'm curious what how you look back on Tougher Than Leather then. Because when I think about Raising Hell, the beauty of that is like you were saying, Walk This Way broke through that wall. But then it's tricky and my Adidas and Pied Piper... Uh, all, all that, that stuff. Peter Piper. Yeah. Peter Piper. I'm sorry. Had it was these were all classics too, and so it yep. was able to make it take it beyond just being a one shot gimmick or something into something right, right, more right. substantive. But right. it felt a little bit like tougher than leather. Didn't get the attention that it deserved. I remember Mary Mary getting some play. I love that one, by the way. Did yeah, you Run's feel House. like? Yes. Okay. So, but, Beats but, to the rhyme. Did you feel like it was it got the attention that it deserved, or did you feel it got a little lost in the shuffle? No, it got lost because we had a two-year battle with our label. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. We had, we, we got to tougher than leather came late. But also the problem was that when we were just being run DMC, no problem. The 
what was it like Russell and Jay and Run started to try to beat what we were doing mm. as opposed to let's just make how we feel. And and that that's what I talk about in the book 10 ways. Mm-hmm. I was just doing what I felt and it was work. Now, instead of just being run DMC, let DBD, mm-hmm. let Joe B. Joe and let JBJ, we would be unstoppable. But now we started saying we need to be on the chart. We need to be on MTV. So we going in the studio to make something for MTV instead of making who we are that we're going MTV in the first place. Mm-hmm. So that's when all the business blueprint follow there's no rules to creativity yeah if we thought like the Beatles, john paul and john we just did it till we can't do it no more mm-hmm. that's why in interviews i said run dmc should have just made three albums and went out separate ways that's true but we were instead of just being run dnj as we evolved and matured there was the now now we got to make a record like no we got to do what we did raising hell was so you no raising hell is a if I never do what Raising Ella did, I don't have to. Like, what I'm trying to say is somebody should have told Michael Jackson, rest in peace, Michael, you sold 41 million Thriller albums. You'll probably never do that shit again. Shut up and just go out and be Michael. Good point. All you could do is make, you know what I'm saying? Nobody was around him to tell him that. Yeah. I mean, Matola's the devil. Sony this and that. Which is, come on, it's the business. Yeah. That's it. Just do what you got to do. Even if you sell one record, you could fucking go be Michael forever. So yeah. what happened with Tougher Than Leather, if you, li- if you look at it, that was the change of Run DMC's persona. Yeah. Because Jay was connected to the street. So now he's bringing in the new hip guys. Mm-hmm. Look, I'll be 100 years old. I don't need the 18-year-old fucking producer because he could never do what I could do. See, now I got that confidence to say that. Yeah. But if they're telling you, no, you need to write a record that the radio's going to play. So we're going to make a record that the radio's going to play and nobody's going to feel it because they're not feeling who we are anymore. Mm-hmm. So That's Tough it. and Lever was the downslide. And remember, Tough and Lever then back from hell. Yeah, yeah. Which was totally, we fucking cursing and sounding like the gangster motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Remember, we sounded like Ice Cube and them. And we oh, I know. The music like we were just and- saying. Those guys yeah. have to suddenly take on kind of the gangster persona because that's what's doing. And we did it and flopped. And then we didn't return to our glory until Pete Rock produced Down With The King. That's right. Which that's was right. the single on that album in the 90s when we were the OGs, but it was the best record of the 90s. Because mm-hmm. it was Daryl being Daryl, Jay being Jay. Pete Rock was like, I just want y'all. That's right. I don't care about Jay-Z. I don't care about Eminem. I don't care about Busta. I want, you know, we put out Down with the King and went back on the throne. Mm-hmm. So That's imagine right. if we were if, if from Raising Hell, when we went, Run's House was good. Beast of the Rhyme was good. Mary Mary was typical. But then all the other records was us trying to re, re, recreate the success we already had. No, that's done. I could see that. Okay, a couple more questions. Number one, we try to touch on the business side of things on here sensitively. Yep. Something I've yep. always been curious about. I At this point, Christmas and Hollis, I feel like, has become kind of a Christmas staple. And I've had people on here, for instance, do you remember the waitresses? They have that song, Christmas Rapping. That, uh, it, anyway, the guy, it's become No, a, I just know Curtis Blow's Christmas Rapping. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> so... This new wave band from the early 80s, The Waitresses, have a, have a song that's become very popular every Christmas. What's called it Christmas called? Rapping. Christmas Rapping. Really? That's what it's called. You'd probably what? know it if you heard it. Yeah. It's a, a white girl rapping. 
Anyway, Christmas I had the guy. Wrap. I gotta who wrote, listen to it. Okay. You'll know it. The Lisa, second look year. up Christmas wrapping. Christmas wrapping okay, from the waitresses. From the waitresses. Christmas wrapping from the waitresses. That's right. So the guy who wrote that song that's in the band, he just lives off of money made from that song because it makes money every Christmas showing up at wow. commercials and stuff like that. And I feel like Christmas and Hollis has become a staple too. Can you live off Christmas and Hollis money? No, because it goes to the very special Olympics. Really? Oh, that's true. Yes, it's the very whole idea of the, yes, yeah. it's the whole idea of the record was for charity. And the only reason we did it was not for the Special Olympics. The only reason that we did it was because the beat was so dope. It was so dope. Because <laughs> we so dope. y'all trying to y'all taking this y'all taking this hip hop rap stuff too. We thought they would know we ain't doing no Christmas rap. We don't we said Curtis Blow has it. That's his, but when we heard, dun, 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 <laughs> bro, yo, I'm on it. And plus, it was it was like you're gonna be on a record with Bruce Springsteen and Whitney Houston. That's right. Really, but we That's wanted right. to make something original. You did. So that was a good that was a good inspiration to do it. Okay. But um, all the money, the proceeds go to the very special Olympics. I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Boy, well, but wait, we get our writers though. We get our writers. Okay, you, know, you do. Good. Yeah, so okay. it does okay. good business for that. We get because uh, we're the writers, but the, sure. the sales and everything. Okay, that's and, true. And it's funny that you say that. Somebody had asked me uh, three years ago. I was doing an interview. Did you ever think that Christmas would be this? Because prior to that, it was always Ben Crosby and Nat King Cole. Mm-hmm. That's right. Did you ever think it would be Ben Crosby, Nat King Cole, and Run DMC? That's like, right. No. That's right. And they said, for, I'm talking about Jewish people, sure. Muslim people, people from all race religions. They love, they play that every Christmas. That's right. We That's never right. thought that would happen. It's a standard. Yeah, um, it's a standard. Yep. Okay. So let's talk about Jay for a second. Um, yep. One of the things that is never, I mean, it was so shocking and sad when he died and part of the heaviness came from understanding that it probably had something to do with a drug deal because i as you were saying something to do with the streets yes because as run dmc came from the streets but as we've established never felt like the drug dealer gang banger types you know what i'm saying We we would transform them yes yeah, with so Jay, yeah, it just didn't feel like that was part of the Run DMC persona, and yet it was there. It wasn't. No, it wasn't. But you got to understand something. Jay was the guy from the streets who made it out. The very thing he tried to save people from is the very thing that he killed. That killed them. That's it. So that's the shame. We never made drug records. This and that. We didn't promote it. Jay was a guy like this. When Jay was hanging with the thugs. If you was a nerd coming by, he would hold the thug and tell you, run, run, <laughs> so you could keep your sneakers and money, and then you would run, and you safe now. Yeah. You know, if somebody was doing something wrong while Jay was dead, Jay wasn't going to let it happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So when Jay was around, Jay was the guy that did the music in the hood, that played basketball with the, Mark Jackson and them, and hung around with his friends who were in and out of jail. But when he became Jam Master Jay, he kept them around. You ain't got to rob no more. You could be working. You open and close my studio. You could be my driver. Like, he gave everybody positions. So the very, uh, uh, I remember on um, MySpace, I think it was. Because mm-hmm. MySpace. On MySpace, I wrote, 
I'm not mad at the guy that killed Jay. I got cursed out. <laughs> Motherfucker, you did it. Like, like my, my feed, you yes. remember the feed? Like, of course. You know, because I didn't have reality show, I only got like 140,000 followers. Unless you see me in person, you don't see me. Uh-huh. I wrote that. I got cursed out. So I had to go. Um, I had to go clarify what I was saying. I said, I'm not mad at the dude that shot Jay. My fight isn't with him personally. My fight is with the mindset that would cause a guy to shoot Jay, yeah. which could have been alleviated if we not only, you don't just play self-destruction for these brothers and sisters. You give them an experience so they can see the better way out. That's right. what Jay tried to do. And the very thing, that's the very thing. Jay wasn't selling drugs. Jay wasn't a drug pen. The same drug dealers Jay know I know. I grew up with them. Those were my friends. They've been in and out my house. You know what I'm saying? Wow. My mother knows that. them. Wow. But they grow up in this. It's, 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 like, the, it's like the mob. Yeah. Antonio yeah. is doing life now. now. I remember he used to come to the cookouts and mm-hmm. him and my son went to school. Yeah. So Antonio was with your son, and when the shit went down, your son got shot too. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. the very thing Jay was trying to do, his studio was fun. He could have had his studio in L.A. around the corner from Dr. Dre's. Oh, it was wow. like, yeah, that, Jay's a famous. He, <laughs> he could have had a studio in, um, Diddy's studio was in mid, mid, Midtown Manhattan, and Jay could have had it. She had rest of Jay. He could have put a studio right. He could have brought Fit Factory. Yeah. Jay's yeah. studio was five minutes from where he grew up. He did not want to leave those people there alone. Wow. So the shame is the thing. He made it out and he opened the door for them. So the guy that shot Jay just closed the door for a whole generation. Now we got to work to repair it and open it back up. Tragic. Tragic. Yes. Very, very tragic. You know well, what I'm saying? Somebody, somebody said, yo, we used to stomp out pimps. We stomped the pimps out. Don't be abusing my little girls in here. Get him out the neighborhood. And right. not only did we beat them up, after we beat them up, we said, now here's what you do. But do you have to get money? We'll show you how to get money. That's Legally right. and mm-hmm. honestly. Mm-hmm. And that's what hip-hop did. Hip-hop created doctors, lawyers, journalists, artists, TV personalities, designers, directors, all of the people running hip-hop from fashion to us, it's because of Run DMC. You can ask them all. That's absolutely true. Run DMC, I'm the designer. Run DMC built all of this stuff. That's right. They did. That's why the young boys and girls who are creative should be in positions of power up at the record companies mm-hmm. so that we could sign more De La Souls and Naughty by Natures and Q-tips. That's right. Instead totally of agree. Having, a, having a negative thug persona make it seem that this is the way to be cool. 100% agree with you. And uh, Run DMC are one of the most important acts that there has ever been. You changed the culture for the better. Thank you, D, for being who you are and everything. It, it, you're one of the best there's ever been. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for uh, having me. Of course. All right, there you have it. Daryl DMC McDaniels, the man himself. What a chat. I want to close it out with Mary Mary because this was a great tune off of Tougher Than Leather, which should have done better than it did. I don't know why it didn't, but whatever. Thank you, Daryl, for talking with me. Such an amazing conversation. And if you guys out there, if you're like me, guys or girls, and you're struggling with mental health, get some help. 
talk about it with people, talk about it with me. I'm struggling too. We can start like a support group or a Zoom or something like that, if you want, whatever. But don't struggle in silence. I have been and it's not worth it. Get some help. Now, next week we kind of go back to the 70s. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to have a lot of 70s focused artists. The next two specifically rose to fame in the, in the 70s. And next week was one of the biggest hit makers of the late 70s. Huge songs that still are out there today. So that's what's coming up next week. Huge thanks to Jan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man, for everything. Thank you, buddy, for being on this journey with me for over six and a half years, talking with hundreds and hundreds of just the most interesting musicians we can think of, and share those conversations with people who love music, who love to nerd out, who love to hear the stories and get to know these people, and remember the good old days, or whatever it is. Thank you, everyone who listens every week or some weeks, or with some guests, or pops in here and there. Whatever it is you do, we're thankful for you. And we're grateful that we get to do this thing that's fun and meaningful, and that no one's going to fire us, or stop us, or, you know, let us go, or anything like that. This is our thing, and we get to do it and share it with all of you, and I hope you guys have felt like it's meaningful. Thank you for seven incredible years. You can like our Facebook page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Love you all. We'll talk to you later.